Good morning, Bethel. Our scripture reading from this morning is Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34. And so if you would stand with me in honor of God's holy word, um, we're going to read that. Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34. So follow along as I read. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is God's word. You may be seated. So it's my uh, joy and privilege to introduce my my brother and my friend, um, Pastor Derek Parks. It's been really good to get to know him over the past five or six months. Excited and grateful that he's here with us this morning to minister God's word. He's here with his wife, Atiyah, and two of his children, son, Nasir, and daughter, Rael. Um, he also has another daughter, Tamaya. He was born and raised in Camden, uh, born again at the age of 18. I think he'll tell you a little bit about that, as well as how um, he and his family have been led to uh, move to Wilmington and seek to plant a church here. Um, That began back in 2014, where he discerned the Lord's calling, and so um, I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that before he preaches from Matthew 11. Um, I appreciate a lot of things about um, Pastor Parks and his family. I look up to him. I look forward to learning from him as our friendship and our gospel partnership grows, but I just want to share two quick things that I really appreciate. One, they are moving into risk and need and into the darkness, not away from it. So that's a Christ-like move. It's just like what Pastor Tyler preached last week, Hebrews 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And then secondly, he's crazy enough to believe Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And he's not ashamed to boldly believe it and preach it both on the block and in the pulpit. So, brother, come and preach it. Um, Glad you're here. Well, good morning, Bethel. So I want you guys to do a little bit better than that. The Lord woke us up this morning. He woke us up in our right mind. We have the activity of our limbs, articulation of our speech. So good morning, everybody. All right. Now, if we could slide this, this is not going to go well for me because I move around a lot. Um, So I'm going to move this over here and not break everybody's stuff in the process. So my name is Derek Parks. I bring you greetings uh, from Wilmington, Delaware, uh, just over um, off of exit seven. And um, it's my privilege and my honor to be here today. Can I just say this? The partnership and the friendship that we found uh, immediately upon moving here to Wilmington has been nothing short of a grace from the Lord. So, I mean, Bethel, when we moved in, I mean, folks brought us meals. The the Myers, they brought us a meal. Uh, I mean, the Lord has just, I mean, shown his love through you guys to me and my family. Uh, And I just want to thank you guys for for the love, and I want to thank you guys for the friendship and the partnership with us uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to plant a church uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, um, right over in West Center City in one of the worst neighborhoods here. So um, Pastor Chris asked me to share a little bit about um, my testimony and a bit about how we're here, but before we do that, I just want to say hi to, I want you guys to say hi to my family, if you guys can wave, Parkses, if you could wave, Parkses. So my son Nasir, my little daughter Rael is, is in the back, and my daughter Tamaya is not here today. 
But uh, my wife is here with me, and uh, I'm very thankful for her and all of her sweetness and her goodness to me. And um, so I'm just grateful for this opportunity. So really quickly, um, I'm born and raised in Camden, New Jersey. So if you know anything about Camden, Camden is considered and has been for the past 20 years or so one of the worst cities in America, the most violent, most dangerous city in America. And, and that's the birthplace for me. That's where I, I, I ran around the streets there. I, I, I jumped from roof to roof and, uh, you know, playing in, in parks in Camden. And growing up there was rough. Um, it was a bit challenging living in uh, the, the worst city in America. Um, but the Lord um, saw fit through his providence. Um, at the age of five, I went to live with my aunt. Uh, who was, uh, I mean, she was, she's, she's the sweetest woman that you'll ever want to meet. Uh, and she loves Jesus. She loves the Lord. And because of that, consequently, she drug me and my twin brother to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday, and every Saturday for, for choir practice, and then Sunday all day long. So um, I, I grew up going to church. Um, and for me, um, at the time, it didn't really mean much to me, I was just there. I mean, I, I would sing on the choir and, you know, I would do all the things that one would do when they're involved in a, a church, but the gospel had not penetrated my heart. So when I became a teenager, I became extremely rebellious, extremely rebellious, running around with my friends in, in, the, in the city and just doing any kind of thing that I wanted to do and, and, and not abiding by the teaching that the Lord had instilled in me through uh, my aunt's a rearing of my brother and I. And uh, a consequence of that, I became a teenage father. So my son is here with me today. He's 15. He's taller than I am now. Um, but I became a teenage father. But the Lord used that in my life to draw me to himself. Um, at the age of 18, I went to visit with my godmother um, to take my son to visit with her. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm standing there and holding him. And, you know, she asked me this question. She said, would you give up his life so somebody else could live, so one of your friends could live? And I looked at her like she had five heads. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, you know, at the time I was sort of trying to be a thug and stuff like that. And I said, man, I'd kill somebody if they hurt my son. And she just laughed. She said, well, you know, it's just funny. That's what uh, God did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And she shared the gospel with me on that day, and it gripped my heart. And, uh, you know, I decided, man, I want to learn more about my faith. So I ran uh, to a Bible college and got trained and, 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 and taught there and connected with a group of people, um, uh, I guess, back in 2004, um, who were getting ready to plant a church uh, in the inner city of North Philadelphia. So Epiphany Fellowship uh, of Philadelphia. And I connected with those folks, and the Lord was just gracious to us and I transitioned there from Philly to our church plant in Camden, um, and then, by God's grace, we did a lot of great ministry there, and it was a blessing for me because it was home to, uh, it was great to be in my hometown serving the Lord. Um, but then back in 2014, uh, I took a trip down here to Wilmington because uh, one of the ministries that we did was uh, we, we bred dogs, so that was a way for us to get in the door with some of the gangsters and drug dealers who were throwing a lot of money at these dogs. And I mean a lot of money at these dogs. Um, I mean, they're short, big head dogs. They, they look like this. They're very gnarly looking. Um, but we would, we would try to go into like some of their um, the dog shows and just interact with folks and go into uh, you know, a breeding kennels and stuff like that and interact with folks. But we met a guy down here in Wilmington um, and we came and we got off the exit and exit six right on the fourth street and with my pastor at the time. And I said, man, where, where are we? So he said, well, we're in Wilmington. I said, no, Wilmington is the corporate capital of America. Like, this is not that place. So as I began to see the, 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 the degradation in the city, the Lord began to prick my heart about Wilmington. And, and I began to research it and find out all the things that we're going on about the city. I don't need to let you guys know about that. You guys are already aware about the reputation of Wilmington, Murdertown, USA, one of the top five worst cities in America. Um, and then at that point, you know, the, we discerned the Lord's call, and I jumped into a church planting residency to learn how to plant a church in the inner city because planting a church in the inner city is very, very difficult. Um, by God's grace, we got trained, and um, 
in September, my family and I moved here. Um, so September 1st, right, babe? We moved September 1st. And by God's grace, the Lord has been doing amazing, amazing things here for us in the city. Um, the Lord has just, I mean, shown his hand and his providence uh, in the life of uh, my family and in the life of our church. So, And you guys have been such a huge part of that, and I'm grateful for that. So um, I'm here, and um, I'm here to share the word with you guys. So I'm going to get right into the reason why I'm here. So enough about me, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to jump into the word. Father, be with our time, Lord. Bless us. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Father, that you would open up our um, ears to hear what you have to say to us. Father, help us to posture ourselves in the proper position, Lord, and to know that, Father, we are yours, Father, and you have called us by your grace, Lord, to be your servants. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come into this place, Father, that you would be in our midst, Father, and that you, God, would receive maximum glory from our lives, Father, as your word comes forth. And Father, I pray that you would be with me, Father, God, and I pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Y'all can say amen. Uh, so we, we praying to the king. We're not praying to Derek up here. We're praying to the king of kings and lord of lords, so you can say amen. Um, so I'm going to read the passage here from, from Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start, actually I'm going to start at uh, verse 27. So it reads, all things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. So they know each other. Anyone to whom, and to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus says this, come to me all. Somebody say all. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somebody say rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There is a cultural movement afoot today um, in, in, in our lives, one that uh, would, would push us to believe into ideologies that cause us to care for ourselves and care about our interests more than we care about the interests of others. Now, this movement is known as the self-care movement, and one of the things that it does is that it strives to address the everyday stresses of life with some practical implications and giving us some practical habits that we can apply to our lives. And clinically speaking, self-care has to do with anything that somebody might do for the sake of their own physical or mental health, uh, including, you know, for instance, like eating well and exercising, sleeping eight hours uh, a night. But functionally today, the culture has shifted that and turned that into sort of a self-aggrandizement type of thing where we think only about ourselves and we put the emphasis on us. So we say things like this, you know, I'm just trying to do me. Now, when we say that in the inner city, that just means that we're not going to worry about what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is thinking. We're going to focus just solely on us. Uh, but the self-care strategies, they attempt to uh, apply some structure and discipline to, to our lives, and we do things like this. We say, you know, I just need some me time. Anybody ever said, I just need some me time? We've all said that. Anybody, you know, we, we say things like, you know, I, I'm just trying to recenter myself. You know, we, we talk like that and we say those kind of things. But these strategies that are in our culture are recentering the world, uh, recentering the world around us to ourselves. And we begin to look for hope and healing and stability from places that are hidden deep down inside of us. And, you know, we say stuff like, I'm just trying to learn to love me again. 
You know, we, we, we begin to say, I'm just learning to take care of me. I'm not worried about anybody else right now. And that's okay. Now, if, if you're talking about caring about your humanity, that's fine. I mean, you've got to do those kind of things. Like, you have to brush your teeth in the morning, right? You guys brushed your teeth this morning, right? I hope everybody took a toothbrush and brushed their teeth. That would be awesome, especially if you're going to talk to me later. Please take a toothbrush and brush your teeth. But you, you, you've got to do that kind of stuff. You've got to take care of yourself. So I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I'm talking about stuff that places our personal desires and preferences above other people. But here we see in this passage that Jesus is giving an invitation. Jesus is inviting folks to, to come to him for rest. Now, I titled my sermon today, Take Care, and I saw you guys got that graphic. I didn't send that to them. That's great. You guys did that all by yourself. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm going to come back here again and get another graphic. Um, so, but the first thing that you want to do if you want to take care is that you must come. Everybody say come. So CARE is going to be an acronym that I'm going to walk us through, and I'm going to expound on, 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 on that acronym for us. But the first thing that you're going to have to do if you want to take care is you have to come. This coming here is not a suggestive coming. This coming here carries the force of an interjection. This is like, come now. Now, when I was growing up, uh, we, we would play outside, and our signal, our interjection for coming was the streetlight. So if you didn't come when the streetlight came on, then you were going to be in some pretty big trouble. Now, don't let it happen that my aunt would have to stick her head out the screen and call my name, because then I would be in a world of trouble. You guys know what I'm talking about. But here, this is an interjection. It says, come now. And we come in three ways. First, we come positionally. This is our identity. We come because we are in him. So when he calls us, we come because we are in him. Next, this is a practical thing. So this has to do with obedience. We come when he calls us because we are in him and we belong to him. So we come when he tells us to come. And then lastly, this is a proclamation. This has to do with mission. We come out from, from the mission field to rest in him. How do I know? We see this in Matthew chapter 10, the, ch the chapter that precedes this. We see that Jesus had sent folks out on mission. We see that he has sent them out to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and, and he sent them out to do those kinds of things. And now we see Jesus calling them in from being sent out. He sent them out to a place from being without and called them to being within. And he called them from working, and now he's inviting them to rest. Now, the, the closest that the self-care movement gets to truly understanding the gospel is this. It tells us to stare at something that is bigger than we are. Now, I spent a lot of years as a mental health therapist prior uh, to pastoring, and I used to tell people to do this kind of stuff. I would sit down with people, and they would have their self-care plan, and I would tell them, hey, go and watch the sunrise. Everybody likes to watch the sunrise, right? That's good. Then I would tell them, you know, go hike in the woods. Now, I wasn't hiking in nobody's woods. I'm from Camden. I'm not doing that. Plus, I saw the revenant, and that bear's not going to get me like it got Leonardo DiCaprio. That's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not doing it. So then, you know, I would say, go to the beach, you know, enjoy the water and the ocean. And, you know, me and my family, we love to go to the beach, um, especially those beautiful New Jersey beaches that we have um, back home. But we would go to the beach. You tell them to take a long country drive. I used to have this 97 Nissan Maxim. I mean, it was clean. It was leather seats. I mean, it was old, but it was really nice. And I used, to, I used to hop in my car, and I used to roll the sunroof back, and, you know, I'd just ride down and take a long country drive. And, 
You know, I'd like to do that stuff. That stuff helped me to focus and think on things that were bigger than myself. Ironically, my wife, her, her dad, when I first met him, he said, hey, let's go on a drive. Now, that was a little bit different because, you know, he's a, a Navy man, and he just took me and took me through South Carolina. They live in North Carolina, and we, we got on this road, and they said, welcome to South Carolina. And I said, hey, uh, uh, sir, uh, where, where are we going? <laughs> We were in North Carolina about 20 minutes ago. Now we're in South Carolina. But, you know, I'd say go do that. Watch the sunset. Now, each of these is an effort to put you in front of something that's bigger than yourself for long enough, check this, that you begin to forget about yourself. These, the, these strategies are an effort to get us in front of something bigger than we are so that we begin to forget about our raggedy self. So we don't think that we're raggedy, but we are raggedy. And this, these strategies help point us to something that's bigger than we are. Now, this, this is seen clearly in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without an excuse. We are without an excuse because we can see the greatness and divine power of God through his creation. We can just go outside, open up our front door, and look out the window and see the creation and the handiwork of God. So we're without an excuse. So we take this interjection, we take this command seriously because when he tells us, when he tells us to come, we respond because we're without an excuse. We know that we have a creator. We know we have somebody who is divine and rules over us. So we respond to that because we are in him positionally. We respond to that because we're in him practically. And because of our proclamation of being sent, we respond when he calls us. Now, the culture has shifted our focus from looking at things that are bigger than ourselves to focusing on us. We're just going to do us. I just got to do me. That's what they say. Particularly if if a, if a, a, a African American or Hispanic woman says, "I'm just got to do me," you're probably in trouble. Like I'm going to do me. So, the next thing we see here is that if you want to take care, first you got to come. Everybody say come. The next thing you have to do is assess. Everybody say assess. We need to assess the weight of our labor. We need to be laboring in order to be considered for receiving rest. Jesus called his disciples out from laboring on the mission field to rest. He called them out from, in chapter 10, he said, come to me. And then he says, come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden. That labor there has to do with growing weary or, 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 or growing tired or exhausted from labor. So all those who are worn out and exhausted from laboring are those who are considered for receiving rest. Not those who are exhausted and weary from my term, lazying. Now, I, I was in Camden, and, you know, we would interact with a whole bunch of guys, and I found this in Wilmington, too, is, you know, guys are always so tired. And I'm like, hey, hey, bro, what, what's going on? Why are you so tired? Like, you don't have a job. I mean, like, you don't even have a job. Why are you so tired? Like, you were supposed to come to church that day. What was going on? Uh, man, Pastor Derek, man, I was just, you know what I'm saying? I'm just out here. Like, I was just tired. I'm like, tired from what? You don't have no job. So th that's one side. Folks are, are tired from lasering. Those folks don't get the invitation 
to rest. But then on the other side, in the hood, we got this. And um, I know that Pastor Chris is my friend because he said on the block. That was so great when he said that. I thought that was awesome. He's my friend for real. Like he's paying attention to how I talk and stuff like that. That's cool. Um, so another thing that they say on the block is that, so in, in, in particularly stressful seasons, you'll find, you'll find guys on that one end of the spectrum, those folks who are, are just lazy and always tired and exhausted from not doing anything. But then you're going to find folks like this who are emotionally drained and tired because they're hustling. Guys say stuff like this. They're like, man, I'm just out here hustling. You know, team no sleep. They say stuff like that. They say vamp life, which is like vampire life. They say, they say that kind of stuff. Y'all with me. Y'all understand what I'm saying. But they are exhausted and worn out from their consistent labor and trusting in their own efforts to find success and trusting in their own efforts to find achievement. Those folks don't get to the invitation for rest either because none of either of those actions are appropriate. Now, that's for the, the unbelievers that I've run across before. For the Christians, I, I found this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That heavy laden is to place a burden upon somebody, to load somebody up with a, a, with a burden for something that's bigger than they are. If you are a Christian, you ought to be heavy laden with a burden to see lost souls be transformed by the gospel. If you are a Christian, you ought to be heavy laden with a burden to make disciples of men. Thank you. And if, if, if you are a Christian... You ought to be running hard after the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Can I tell you, that's why, that's why we're planting a church in one of the worst cities in America. Because we've been laden, we've, been, we've been play, had a burden placed upon our hearts to go and try to reach the least, the last, the lost, and the left out. Mark Dever says it like this, and I'll quote a Baptist. I'm not scared. We'll do that. He says, and this is sobering, we may not be his disciples if we are not laboring to make disciples. If we aren't laboring to make disciples, we have to take assessment of our labor and take assessment of whether or not we are really in him. Because Jesus tells us this. He says that those who are mine, they, 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 they follow my commands. When they love me, they do what I tell them to do. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a black home, you ask the question, well, why? It's because, because I said so. No other explanation. Because I said so. And I'm like, that's not an answer. Like, that's not a reason as to why I can't go out and play basketball in the backyard when you bought us a basketball hoop in the backyard. I mean, I'm just going out back. The answer is no, because I said so. And if you ask me again, you know what comes next. But if we are his children, if we are his disciples, then we have to respond to his call to make disciples. So if we, if we're, if we are in him and we're, and we're coming to him when he calls us and we're taking assessment of our labor, taking assessment of, of the burden that he's placed on us and to, and to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, uh, the next thing that we have to do if we want to take care is that we must rest. Everybody say rest. See, this rest the, this rest is not something that we kind of figure out on our own and like sort of manufacture uh, with our own thoughts and with our own ideas. This is a rest that the Lord is going to give. He says, come to me all who, 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 are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I tell you this? That takes the burden off of us. When he says that I will give you rest, 
That takes the burden off of us to try and do things and work hard and try to obtain a comfortable life and work hard to try to have these different uh, types of lifestyles that make us comfortable. If we, if we realize that the Lord gives us rest, then that takes the burden off of us. And when we take assessment, you know, we, I've heard it said that, you know, work hard, play hard. That's the balance, right? But that's, that's not really a balance. You know, we, we come to Jesus because he calls us. We take assessment of our labor in him, and then he's going to give us rest. That rest there is to permit someone to cease from their labor in order to recover their strength. And I, I love this here, it, this the, the, the Greek prefix here, I'm not trying to flex like uh, I know some Greek because I don't really know any Greek. But the, the Greek prefix here is, 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 is ana, as opposed to another word for rest with, when, with the Greek prefix is kata. But, but for ana, it means in the midst of, whereas kata would mean to go through or go without. So this is Jesus saying here that I will give you rest in the midst of your labor. Now, we, we get to rest in the midst of our laboring. So we don't have to be afraid or we don't have to try to figure out, you know, because I hear people say to me all the time, I could never do what you're doing. I mean, that's so hard. I mean, how could you, how could you pick your family up and then and go and, and, and be in, in a place like that and, and do the kind of things that you're doing? And, you know, I, I could never do that. And I look at them and I tell them, you, you can. You've just got to be willing to give up your comfort. You just got to be willing to give up your, your attaching your identity to your comfort and to your lifestyle and submit yourself to the will of Jesus Christ. And know this, that while you're laboring and while you're toiling, he's going to give you rest, not outside of, of, of your labor, but he's going to give you rest in the midst of your labor. I tell you this, if, if, if you've got to go on some deserted island to find rest from your laboring, you're missing the point. Now, I'm not mad at anybody going to, to a deserted island. I'm trying to go this year. But listen, <laughs> I'm not mad at that. But if, if, you, if all year long you're relying on, I just got I can't wait till I get on vacation. I could just, I could just stop and I could just finally rest. Then you're missing it. Jesus promises us rest in the midst of our laboring. How do I know this? The cross was Jesus resting in the Lord. If he would have avoided the cross, he would have been resting outside of what God had intended for him. If he would have tried to get away from the cross, he would have been resting in himself and not resting in the will of God. So we, we see our personal crosses and we, and, and, and we think, oh, that looks so stressful, you know, that, that situation. I, I just, I just got to get away from here, and, I, you know, I can't really deal with this. When our kids are acting up, we, we say, man, if they would just stop doing what they were doing, everything would be all right. You know, when our job is rough and things are happening, we say, man, if, if my boss wasn't uh, such a jerk, then I would be okay. That's escapism. That's not resting in Jesus, because Jesus didn't get the opportunity to take a break from going to the cross. He violently went after the cross to pursue us. That's the gospel, and that's what this self-care movement misses. It misses the reality that we can't take care of ourselves. We have to rely on the one who has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, the one who has given us every spiritual blessing, according to Ephesians 1. We have to rely and rest in him. Jesus didn't get a break. Jesus didn't didn't get to rest outside of the will of the Father. 
The cross was not apostropedic. It was a rugged, nasty, violent death that Jesus had to endure. And he did that because of his great love for you and for me. So, we come to him because he calls us. We take assessment of our labor in him, and then we, we rest in him. And, you know, he says this. He says, take my yoke upon you. All right. there, there's no taking of his rest without first responding to his call to come. So we, we, not, we need to understand this, that when the Lord gave us 24 hours in a day, he gave us everything that we needed. He gave us enough time to be able to do in that day what we are required or expected to do. And if Jesus gives us enough time to do his will and, and, and we are frazzled by busyness, then we're missing the point. I know some folks that are, are always busy. They're just too busy for everything. Too busy to take your phone call. Too busy to come to Bible study and hear the fighter verse. Too busy to come to church because the Eagles are losing. Too busy. I'm a Cowboys fan. I had to throw it in there. Um, I'm not scared either. <laughs> We're just so busy. And listen to this, if we're, if we're not working, then we're not resting. And, then, and if we're not resting, it's because we're not working, we're just self-worshipping. We worship ourselves at the altar of busyness. Busyness is about having our lives structured uh, so that people would desire our lives. People, you know, they say, wow, look at him, man. He's got so much going on. He's so busy. I mean, I mean, he's always got these appointments that he's going to. And, I mean, he just seems to be traveling all the time. I mean, man, his life is just so uh, amazing. And he's just, he's, just, he's just filling himself up with busyness so that people would worship him. Uh, celebrities, they take tour after tour after tour. And, and, and they're, I heard one... That a, 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 one, a, a Beyonce was on tour for like 270 days out of the year. I said, man, that's crazy. 270 days out of the year, you're just being busy so that people can continue to worship her. Because that's what they do, they worship her. And then busyness is structured around having our priority be on our kingdom and not on the kingdom of God. We want our kingdoms to be built up. We want our kingdom uh, to, to, to prevail. We want our kingdom uh, to, 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 to be the one that lasts and flourishes instead of wanting the kingdom of God to be the one that lasts and flourishes. So finally, if we want to take care, first we've got to come. Everybody say come. And then we have to assess. Everybody say assess. But then we have to rest. Everybody say rest. And then finally, if you want to come, you must experience. When we take the Lord's yoke upon us, we get to experience him. We will learn of his character. He tells us that he's gentle and lowly in heart. And then we find out that his yoke is manageable and it's easy to be kept. So he says this, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That learning there is not an intellectual learning. That learning there is to learn by use and practice. It's to be in the habit of. So oftentimes we come uh, to the Lord situationally or, you know, philosophically, uh, but he's saying this. He's saying, be in the use and practice of coming to me. Be in the use and practice of taking assessment of your labor. Be in the use and practice of resting. We've got to come to him practically. We, you know, we come up on situations in our life and, you know, things aren't going like we'd want them to. So we start to freak out. 
We start going, oh, my gosh, they're laying people off on my job. I just don't know what's going to happen. I could be fired at any moment. <laughs> that was a joke for my wife because one of her coworkers is constantly saying, I can get fired at any moment. I can get fired at any moment. Like, ladies, chill out. <laughs> she, just, she just freaked out all the time. But we, we come on those situations and, you know, we, we start freaking out. We start, we start go, going nuts. And then at that moment, we want to say, oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus, please, keep, keep my job, because they're laying people off, Jesus, and I, and I just don't know what to do, Jesus, because if I'm going to lose my mind, if I lose my job, Jesus, because I'm not, like, whoa, calm down. If we were in the use and practice of coming to him, we would have confidence even when our job was laying people off, because we would know that our rest is not in our job. Our rest is not in whether or not we get a paycheck uh, every two weeks, but our rest is in the fact and our comfort is in the fact that we are his. So then Jesus says this. He says, I'm, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. That means he defers to us. He doesn't get tired of us when we call him. He doesn't get frustrated when we're consistently coming to him. He doesn't even get tired of us when we only come to him when we want something. Now, you call me, only call me when you want something, you won't get an answer. You'll get the slide to the left on the iPhone, boop, hang up. Or you'll get left on red, like, yep, I read your text message. I'm not going to respond. You'll get that from me. But Jesus isn't like that. He responds to us. He always defers to us. He never gets tired of us. It's just he has an excessive willingness to, to serve us. He has an excessive willingness to, to please us. So, and then we will find rest for our souls, and we'll see that his yoke is easy. His yoke is manageable. And, and I give this example. I, I say Jesus' yoke is like the difference between uh, my, my buddy, he's a forklift driver, so one time he saw a bunch of guys standing around a pallet, a heavy pallet, trying to lift the pallet up just, just by themselves. And he's the forklift driver, so he's just sitting there looking at him, laughing, like, what are y'all doing? Like, move out the way so I can pull the forklift up and put it up there. So they finally see him, and they go, oh, hey, Curtis, can you put this up here? So he pulls up, and he lifts it right up. That's how the yoke, that's how Jesus' yoke is. It's easy. And I tell you this. We don't do any of the lifting. He does. So his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So I'm going to end with this. It says the, the care that you really need is not buried somewhere deep down on the inside of you, waiting to be unlocked and unlocking your full potential. That's, that's not the care that we need. You need the healing and forgiveness and restore, the, the restoration and transforming grace of God. And only someone that is stronger than your greatest weakness can provide you with care. Only someone that's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's more successful than your worst failures and more potent uh, than your deepest darkness can address the issues uh, of, of, of care. So I want us to, to, to take a look at what it looks like when we don't take care. So I'm going to go really quickly to Genesis 25, um, and starting in, in, in the 29th verse that, that Pastor Chris read for us earlier. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We see Esau in this passage 
having been laboring in the field to the point where he was exhausted, he was weary, and he came in from the field. He's like many of us. We are weary and we're tired and we're overworking ourselves to try to obtain a particular lifestyle, and we're overworking ourselves to try to live the American dream. We're overworking ourselves, and we're just exhausted from our labor. So then he saw his brother cooking some stew. And he says to his brother, let me eat some of that red stew. Some translations say some of that red stuff. He didn't even really know what was in the pot, but he knew that he was exhausted to the point where he just wanted, and it says, eat some. He says, let me get, just get a swallow of that red stew. So Jacob, that old crafty joker, he says, all right, cool, sell me your birthright now. And Esau, in the delirium of his exhaustion, he says, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Now, he wasn't getting ready to die. He was overreacting. He's just like us. He comes into exhaustion. And he's tired and he's frustrated by situations, and he feels like he's getting ready to die. So he says, what use is a birthright to me? And so Jacob says, swear to me now. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright. And when he told him to sell, it's, he, he says, just give that, give that over to me. And that word is to give something over to death. So Esau, in his exhaustion, he he decides that this birthright doesn't mean anything to me, even though the birthright was for the firstborn and it was to be a double portion. He didn't care anything about that. All he was focused on was his exhaustion. He, didn't, he wasn't focused on the thing that God had given to him as the firstborn son. He didn't care about that. He was exhausted, so he wanted something to soothe his exhaustion. And he says that he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate it and he drank and rose and went on his way. And the passage says here that he despised his birthright. That means that he trampled it under his feet. Are you trampling under your feet the things in your life that God has promised for you because you're running to your own efforts to soothe your exhaustion? Are you giving over to death the things that God has, has promised for those who trust in him and believe in him because you're exhausted? Do you, do you trample under your feet waiting on God to send you a husband because you're exhausted from waiting for God to send you a husband? Do you trample under your feet a uh, 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 spending time with God because I'm just too tired and I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to, to spend time uh, uh, with God. Do we trample those things under our feet? And I want to encourage us today that if you're exhausted, if you're tired, if you're weary, I want to encourage you today, don't despise your birthright for a piece of bread and some stew when Jesus has promised us a feast of fellowship in him. Don't despise your birthright for some false intimacy and some false gods when God has promised us eternal intimacy in him. And don't despise your birthright to serve yourself when God has promised you that if you make yourself servant of all, that he will give us servants. And don't despise your birthright for, for shiny things and for, for cars and, and for comfort and for particular lifestyles. Don't, don't despise that because... God has promised that we're going to walk on streets that are paved with gold when we trust in him. And when we rely on the, on the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us, who died on a tree in our place, it was in our place, not just for us, it was in our place. 
he went to the cross for us violently so that we could have the birthright of being able to say, Abba, Father, to be considered his sons and daughters, and if sons, then heirs with Christ Jesus. Don't allow your exhaustion with this world. Don't allow your, your, your struggling and your pain in this world to, to, to make you pursue after false gods, to make you pursue after idols, or to make yourself an idol. When Jesus has promised us and he's given to us every spiritual blessing that we need in him, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel is that we, we turn down our life for him. We, we count the cost of following Jesus, and, and he tells us that if we lose our life, we will find it in him. That's the gospel. So I want to encourage you today to take care. Come to him when he calls you. Take assessment of your labor and of your toil. Rest in him because he gives us rest and experience the gentleness and lowliness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, is sharper than any two-edged sword, severing bone from marrow, Father. And I pray that your word today would get deep down into the marrow of our souls. Father, I pray that, that you would be lifted up and exalted through your people, Father. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place, Lord, that, that we would be encouraged and inspired, Lord, to, to, to put down our comforts, to stop chasing after rest in our, in our own strength, and to, to, to bear down and, and go and make disciples and pursue the Great Commission and know that we'll have rest in Jesus at the end of that, and we'll have rest in Jesus in the midst of our labor and our toil. And Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would be glorified in our lives, Father, as we leave this place, that we, uh, as we interact with our neighbors and our family members and our friends and, 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 and those that don't know you, Father, I pray, God, that we would be a light on a hill, Father, for folks to see that we would be, as 2 Corinthians 3 tells us, that we would be written letters to the world to see that our God reigns and that he lives in us, and that he gives us rest to the weary. In Jesus' name, amen.